welcome back to The London Architect. This is our second episode and we have with us today Sam Selenke, who is a director at Selenke Parsons. How are you today, Sam? Uh, yeah, very good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. First of all, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your partnership that you obviously have with um, David, is it? Your yep. friend from university. Yep. How did that come about? Um, so... Yeah, so we basically met um, met at university. So we both went to Manchester University and kind of met day one, actually in the queue to register for the course. Um, and then been friends since then, basically. Um, and we, so we did our part one at Manchester together. And then it, for a year out, we came down to London, um, lived, uh, lived together uh, there, working for different practices. But um, kind of did our year out there and then went back to Manchester again to do part two. Um, and then once we kind of finished uni, we worked at different places, um, but stayed good friends and then did kind of uh, some competitions and uh, in, in our kind of spare time every now and again. What sort of competitions? Just kind of random RIBA competitions or uh, just anything that kind of caught our eye as being quite an interesting thing. So one we did, uh, it, so, someone wanted um, uh, like to create a little kind of building or like a temporary building to, um, to so you could kind of look at a building site that was happening um, uh, in an interesting way. So yeah, we kind of designed this kind of periscope thing. Um, it, yeah, it was never ever going to get built, but it was quite a good fun thing to do. Um, uh, and yeah, so we did kind of a few of those, but we'd always uh, kind of talked about in the pub of the, you know, one day it'd be great to set up our own practice yeah. and stuff. Was um, this at uni? No, well, this was kind of after uni. Yeah. Um, but once, yeah, we've been kind of working for other practices for a while. Um, and then, so I guess we worked for, I worked for a practice called Patel Taylor. David worked for a practice called Arab Associates. Um and between us, we'd done, we, we kind of did lots of different sec, uh, sectors of work. So we kind of covered a lot of ground. So whether it's offices or sports stadiums or schools or um, kind of landscape projects or housing. So, um, and then uh, after we'd, we'd kind of both been working in for like 10 years after, after uni, and then we'd kind of decided that, we talked about doing it, uh, setting up for ages. I ha ended up getting the opportunity to design um, a house called the River House, which um, which ended up being our first project, um, and kind of did that whilst I was still working full time, but just in kind of evenings, lunch times, weekends. Yeah. Um, and then it eventually got planning, um, and it had the opportunity to then kind of do the detailed design and actually build this thing. Um, but that would have been kind of too much to try and do in my spare time. So I had a decision to make whether I kind of let it go or maybe use this as a springboard to try and yeah. build a startup a business. Um, and David was actually working in China at the time um, in Shanghai. And he'd been there for two or three years and he was kind of, uh, yeah, ready to move back to England. So it all kind of aligned and we just mm -hmm. we, we kind of made the decision, uh, both quit our jobs and uh went for it basically wow. and we, we kind of it was quite a cool house and we thought once this is built we'll definitely get loads of work off the back yeah. of this um and that didn't quite happen but we'd already made the leap at that point so yeah. we kind of 
had to make it work. And I mean, then- I've I've looked at some of the photos of River House, and it's very like distinctive. Like it's it's a really cool design. What was the sort of philosophy behind? The design. Um, so it's it, there's a few things really. So um, so it was a bungalow. There was like a 70s bungalow that used to sit on the site, mm-hmm. um, and it's a really it's quite an interesting site. It's a really long, thin site um, that is kind of on the road at one end, and the other end of the garden kind of backs onto the River Thames. Um, and it, uh, but it was it was technically classed as being in Greenbelt, um, which is a kind of planning designation um which okay. means can be tricky to get planning for um uh, buildings uh, but because there was already a building there we could kind of use that as a basis but there was and each each council works in a different way but the south oxford council that we worked with for that one there was a maximum volume that we were allowed to use for that site so okay. um by because the river house has got a series of flat roofs rather than pitch roofs, which meant that we could have more floor area for the uh, yeah for for the equivalent volume essentially. Um, but it was also a tricky site in that there's not really much else around it, so it's um, there was there's no kind of it wasn't like uh, you know a Victorian street or um, uh, kind of old stone cottages or anything. There was it was just a yeah. collection of kind of seventies. Uh, bungalows, none of which really had much character to them, um, and the landscape was there. It was quite flat, so the the kind of flat roofs and the um, the kind of the different planes that uh, were going on there worked quite well with with the surroundings and the landscape. Um, and then we also introduced quite a lot of water into the scheme as well. So even though the house was actually quite far away from the river, mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of bring that walk bring the river almost closer to the house so um you enter it through um uh, sorry and and also that um in a, another way that we another kind of trick almost to get some more um floor area because the bungalow wasn't very big mm-hmm. and they wanted to create a kind of five bedroom house um so we we uh, created a basement underneath it as well so for planning the planners that that didn't count as area because it was below ground yeah um, but we didn't. We wanted to have bedrooms down there, so we didn't want it to be a really dark and dingy space. Course, so yeah. uh, to get around that, we created this really big light well at the front of it um, to kind of get light really far into the plan. Um, but then also filled that with water as well, so um, you get this really nice kind of uh, ref- light that reflects off the water into the rooms. That sounds amazing. And then it also creates this kind of interesting uh, entrance space, so you don't you don't just enter th- across a footpath, you enter across yeah. a little bridge across the water feature, basically, and then the water kind of, this is like weir that kind of falls down into the, the lower light well. Um, so mm-hmm. right from the beginning, before you even enter the building, you've got this kind of sense of water. And then at the back, uh, there's a swimming pool, which kind of, uh, the, the, the ground floor is all kind of flush with the outside and it runs out into a swimming pool. And there was also um, this kind of narrow rill that had, again moving water through it so you get this kind of sound of water everywhere so as well did these ideas mainly come from you because you said david was in china at the time then did he join at a later he, point? he did yeah so um yeah up until planning it was kind of me working in it on it on my spare time basically um and then uh yeah then we ended up getting it built so at that point it was it was mo- mostly me involved in it i'd showed him some of the 
um, you know, some of the designs I was working on at the time yeah. um, and got some feedback from him and things. But it was, yeah, it, that, at that point it was mostly me. And then once we kind of, after that formally started, then we kind of both been involved in all the projects since, really. Yeah. How would you sort of balance the work in um, Selenki Parsons? You know, do, does one of you take on a certain role or do you share that evenly? Yeah, so I guess... Um, uh, you, people have kind of complementary skills where one person is more technical and one does more design or but yeah that's not the way it kind of works uh, for us I think we, we both kind of do everything really so yeah. um, and um, yeah so we both do technical design we both get involved in all the um, kind of design reviews um, uh, so yeah it's I don't it, it's something that works well for us uh, and it keeps us um, I think we're both quite similar, um, so I guess it can work well if you kind of, you know, you're you're kind of opposites and have different skills that complement yeah. each other. We're both quite similar, and so have similar set of skills, but um, it still seems to work well for us anyway. Do you encourage that sort of high energy, high pace like work environment with the rest of the um, rest of your employees? Yeah, so. Um, I think we try to um, encourage everybody as much as possible to kind of, you know, chip in with ideas. And, you know, the same for us. It, it, when we, we have lots of design reviews, when we were smaller, it would be, um, so we're kind of eight people now, but when we were smaller, um, we, we everybody would be in all the design reviews and we try and get as much input as possible because you never know where the good idea is going to come from. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't shoot anyone down for there's no such thing as a stupid comment so no, yeah try and and it when when people first join i think they may be slightly reluctant to about saying the wrong thing or something but um hopefully quite quickly we get over that and um yeah so you never know where, where the right answer is going to come from or where an interesting idea is going to come from and even if somebody comes up with an idea and actually that idea is not the thing but it sparks another idea and someone yeah. else that maybe is the thing that moves forward um that yeah that that kind of really works so by the, by the time you get a building on site it's uh it's difficult to know whose idea it was so it's it's a blend of lots of different ideas that have have, have kind of come together yeah um and there's always a lot of options as well so we never just go uh especially with the residential projects, um, we never just go, right, this is the design, mm -hmm. take it or leave it. Because the, there's always a different ways of doing things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's kind of pros and cons to different things. And it's a lot of it is very subjective as well. So mm -hmm. um, ultimately, we're not designing uh, houses for ourselves. It's for someone else to live in. So um, we're, yeah, it's good to try and make get them involved in the process as well. Yeah. So they kind of... Yeah, feel like it is their house, not something, not a house course, that we're giving yeah, yeah. to them, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I think you mentioned before that you have eight or nine employees in yes. your firm. So what, what's like, how much experience do you normally want, like, a new employee to have? Do you accept people straight out of university or? Uh, yeah, so um, all different ranges, basically. So we've We've got quite a good mix and we try and keep that going where of kind of people with more experience um, and people kind of fresh out of university. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, that works really well. Um, so, uh, yeah, so at the moment we've got uh, uh, part one who is 
uh, with us who's kind of, they've done their uh, three degree uni uh, university degree. Mm -hmm. um, there, so he's on his year out. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, we've got a range of people from kind of part twos. So they've done their second part of the course. Oh, there's one at the moment uh, 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 who's with us who is doing their part two at the moment. So they're still at university, but they're working part time with us um, oh. while they study to do their part two. So you accept some who have done their part one, who are taking a year out and they'll work with you and then go back and yes. do their part two. Yeah. Oh, OK. okay. Yeah. So they'll... They're, in theory, they're there for a year, but quite often they stay for a bit longer because yeah. um, there's no set time frame for how, you know, you don't have, you can do longer than 12 months in the industry before okay. you go back if you want to. And do they often come back to you again after they've completed their part Well, yeah. Two? So Ella, for example, who's with us at the moment, she, she did up her part one with us mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and she's back doing her part two. Um, and so she's kind of temp working part-time with it for us while she also is doing a university degree and yeah uh, and we've had other people as well who've done part one and then come back to do part two with us as well so um yeah now that definitely happens and then but then we also have kind of uh people who are doing their part three which is your um, professional qualification um mm -hmm. so we've had lots of people that have done that with us um uh, Ellen just got hers the other weeks, um, uh -huh. uh, and then we have kind of more people who, yeah, more experience who've been architects for a few years. Um, but uh, you also do some um, continued professional development within your own firm, right? And how do you sort of? I think you mentioned before that it can it can get a bit dry sometimes with the sort of things that you have to bring yeah. in. How do you keep that exciting? So. CPD is something that we have to do. Um, so to be a RIBA registered practice or yeah. an RIBA architect, you have to do um, a minimum number of hours a year of, of CPD sessions anyway. Um, but um, so, yeah, we try and use And that doesn't have to be just um, uh, a one-hour lunchtime presentation. Things like lectures and visiting buildings okay. uh, can also count for that. So I think that's another thing that we try and do quite a lot of. So... Um, yeah, going to see other architects giving lectures is, is, is where, where can you do that? Um, so variety of places. So the RABA has loads of them, um, which they host at their own building in Portland Place. Um, and then some of the bigger name architects, uh, also do other places. So the Royal Academy has some, uh, Barbican has some as well. Um, and that, yeah, that's quite a cool thing to do. It's, you know, getting to see how uh under this again to see under the skin of other architects um and what their kind of thought processes are mm. and how they how they kind of got where they are is is kind of always a really good thing to do to kind of spur you on and think of different uh yeah it's more input that kind of helps you for your kind of design decisions and things yeah um um, but yeah, then, but they're also the kind of more technical CPDs are also important as well. I think things are always changing, technology is changing, regulations are changing. Mm. So you've got to try and keep on top of that. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's, there's, all, there's a lot to know as an architect, too much. And so you can, you can never know everything. So yeah. it's just, um, yeah, when you kind of feel like you, there's a gap in what you should know then yeah we'll get someone in and they can t talk us talk to us about it basically yeah. um, you mentioned before about sort of your efforts to be more sustainable in your river house project how do you find 
it like balancing the aesthetics of a project and also the compliance side of it yeah so i think for us um that's quite a key thing and i think we and actually quite a lot of our building there is a kind of a kind of green aesthetic almost but i don't think our buildings we, we kind of try to avoid that we just want to have nice buildings okay that happen to be very sustainable yeah but it's um and it, it it's so yeah it's it the, the river house is a good example where it has um you know it's done kind of 10 years ago now but it has uh it had mechanical ventilation heat recovery had solar panels it had biomass boiler at that point where that was kind of the thing at the time where they're kind of yeah it heat pumps have kind of taken over from that point of view okay um but it, it so it is a super sustainable building had really high levels of insulation um, so it generated its own power, um, um, but it doesn't look like a t- typical eco house. Yeah. It just looks like a nice piece of architecture. Um, and that's kind of what, what we try and do um, with, with most of our projects. Um, and, you know, some of the smaller extensions that you're more limited in what you can do with them, but more of the, the new build houses, you've got a lot more flexibility to integrate different systems into it. Um, and there's different approaches. So you can... Um, some projects is more about low tech, so um, you know more kind of natural materials, really thick insulated walls, but not much yeah. technology that uh, not much kit that you're putting into them. And others are much more um, you know more kind of high tech if- effectively. So you're using kind of latest latest building systems and technologies, um, and that is the, yeah two very different approaches. I think both of them are kind of valid. Um, and but quite often kind of client-led in terms of which way they they want to go with it yeah Um, is it quite refreshing to have such a like nuanced approach to sustainability you know you've got some high-tech um solutions and some low-tech solutions as well does that keep you sort of you know just sticking to one yeah i think so and i think it, it um you know every site is different as well um so the scope of what you can do in different places is different. So if you've got one of the projects we're just finishing at the moment, new build house um, out in Ditchling, is on a, it's on an amazing site with a huge grounds. And so there's loads of land that you can have a ground source heat pump in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whereas, you know, on a tighter site, that that's harder to do. So that option isn't available to you. So you have to think of other ways. So, um, I, you know, Obviously, how the sun works is a critical part of it as well. So you need of to get course, the fundamentals yeah. right. And some, you know, some, especially if it's a retrofit project where you're working with an existing building, you can't change the orientation of the house. It, it faces the way it does. So you have to work with it. Um, whereas more of the new build ones, you can quite often manipulate that to work, work for you. Um, um, so yeah, it, it, each project is very kind of individual, I suppose. Is there sort of, like your knowledge of how adaptable you have to be in these certain situations does that come from work you know work experience after uni or would you say it's something you know where do you primarily understand this or do you have to kind of keep up to date on it through it's a it's a mixture of all of it I think I think we um myself and David uh did uh, for our um diploma unit we actually did biochromatic architecture so it was quite often at part two, um, 
at uni you you you, um, you specialize or each unit has a very has a kind of specific thread of architecture that it specializes in yeah. so um for us that that's what we did and so our tutor there was was brilliant and got kind of so we got a really good grounding in the, the fundamentals of kind of uh ecological design anyway and what mm-hmm. you know what the you know what the basic principles you should kind of stick to are um uh, but then after that it's yeah it's it's a question of um again kit is always changing so uh it, it's getting the kind of fundamentals right in terms of the orientation of the building where you have your glass where you don't want glass getting your kind of uh, thermal mass right get getting your kind of insulation levels up and then it's also about what what kind of keeping on top of what um uh, kind of kit is available so uh, solar panels whether that's for generating electricity or generating hot water and kind of yeah. the heat pumps uh, coming on the scene is 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 kind of really taking off now and it's that is something that um is changing uh, that most a lot of projects are having in there and it's the, i think the industry is trying to catch up in terms of from the supply side and the installer side of that i think it's that is kind of lagging behind um kind of clients uh, expectations and kind of need for these things um, so yeah, it, it's, it is tricky to, but it, you've got to kind of just try and keep on top of it as best you can, basically. What is it like regarding costs for these like sustainable, um, this kind of sustainable technology? Like, is it like, does it kind of change the budget that you work with if you want to make these houses more sustainable? Um, I mean, lots of it uh is there definitely is some capital outlay for and it depends on what what you want to go but there is also payback in the long term as well so again it depends on the scale of the project um but for a new build house um yeah having uh, photovoltaic panels that generating electricity mm-hmm. with an air source heat pump or a ground source heat pump um makes a lot of sense and there is there is that extra cost of putting them in the first place but yeah. there is you know economically it makes sense to have it have it's them like there. a long-term investment yeah i think what what is can be tricky is all the extra consultants that you need to um so you know you can't just the days of just having an architect and a structural engineer um to design your house are, are kind of gone yeah there's, there's not there's lots of other people that need to get involved as well um and so um yeah designing and building your own house is actually yeah it's quite a big undertaking um and so yeah because there's lots of different expertise that you need to bring in yeah to satisfy uh planning um to start with but also yeah to get this thing built and functioning in the right way do you work in many conservation areas we do yeah i think um probably 70% 70% of our projects are in London and London has lots of project yeah. uh, lots of conservation areas so uh yeah we've done lots of things in conservation areas um and um also quite a few listed buildings which is kind of mm. a, a notch up again yeah. um of of kind of constraints and yeah and that quite often especially with listed buildings the the kind of there's definitely competing um uh kind of priorities going on there so um, we're, we're doing a list of building at the moment where uh, it's all single glazed and um, but there's a couple of windows that we're changing but yeah there's the real resistance from planning to put yeah. in double glazing or never mind even triple glazing mm-hmm. um, but 
uh, yeah, but from building control point of view, single glazing doesn't work. So, uh, yeah, so there's often a fight between different kind of uh, competing wings of the council, basically. Um, yeah, that sounds like a bit of a hefty challenge. I, I also saw on your um, on your website for Selenki Parsons that you won the British Home Award for um, your with your collaboration with Amar Francis and Foster Jenkins Trust. Yes, yeah. Um, how did that come about? <laughs> um, that's, well, it's an interesting one, but um, uh, that came, the, the connection to that came from actually uh, the surveyor that we have um, who does our measured surveys. Um, so he, um, he he knew that, so the, the one of the clients there um has a, a kind of property portfolio, basically, um, which he is slowly um, kind of turning over to the trust yeah. um, to try and leave a bit of a legacy. Um, and, um, yeah, he he was just like, do you know any architects? So that was quite a random connection. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of did a proposal and a bid for that and, and kind of won it. Um, mm-hmm. And But that's been, like, since then, it's been a great collaboration and we've done lots of other projects with them as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're a really interesting um, charity, effectively. So they, um, they've been, they've kind of focused on the arts and the sciences um, and they have been providing bursaries for postgraduate students um, for, for, for years, basically, mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's a kind of, there's help for undergraduates um, who um, are really talented but perhaps can't afford fees, but the, the help for postgraduates is a lot less. Yeah. So there was a big problem where all these talented people were having to drop out um, and they were kind of being lost effectively. Yeah. So they um, created this trust and charity to kind of help those guys out. Um, and they um, realized after a while that providing bursaries was great, but if people couldn't afford to live uh, um, somewhere as well, then that was another really big problem. And especially for their um, kind of performing arts students um, who, um, uh, yeah, they they kind of also needed rehearsal spaces and places they could practice their instruments or they also heavily involved in opera um, uh, students. And so somewhere they could perform um, Mm -hmm. just either as a practice session um, or as, uh, yeah, kind of mini performances. Um, so with Bravura House, which was the first project we did for them, that which which won the British Home Award, um, that we, that was kind of almost developed as like a kind of co-living style um, development. Um, so uh, ensuite bedrooms with a series of communal spaces. Mm-hmm. And then we built a rehearsal studio in the garden as well, um, which is, um, again, with kind of world-class acoustic consultants working on it so that we get the acoustics internally wow. working really well so it, it would be kind of concert standard uh uh yeah acoustics was, inside was that kind of new for you How, have you done that it, soundproofing it, before uh it was it was new for us um yeah so we'd never done a rehearsal studio before um but we we'd kind of done other things where we had to use um acousticians to help uh, with so um, I, I worked on a school project where we had a uh, kind of hall that they used for assemblies and things again so we yeah. used a acoustic consultant there and so again there's, there's 
there's always a specialist for everything and uh, there's a consultant for everything and uh, and yeah so that the, we uh, and also the client um randomly happened to know the same consultant i worked on for that school who don't normally do schools they normally do concert halls for in various capitals around the world yeah um but they they kind of like the charity as well and so they got on board to to kind of help us uh, work up the design for the interior of the space so uh, yeah no it's quite an interesting process so it's all about um not having parallel surfaces and kind of breaking up flat flat surfaces um and so the architecture of the outside of the building, which has got this kind of asymmetric ridge that runs across it, um, really helps with the acoustic performance internally, but also kind of helped with planning as well, because it meant that we could um, have one, the bit that was closest to the neighbour lower. Yeah. Um, so it all kind of worked quite nicely together from a kind of design and acoustic point of view. Sounds very scientific. It is. Yeah. So, the, the, I mean, the, yeah. And then... And then also you had to, um, it was in a back garden essentially. So we had to make sure yeah. that the neighbours couldn't hear all the opera singers and the pianists playing inside. But also they also wanted to use it for recording as well. So it had to be, couldn't hear any planes flying over or uh, you know, yeah. cars on the roads from that point of view. So, yeah. yeah. So, but it is, yeah. So parts of it are super scientific and, you know, working out how that, how, to make sure that sound is, isn't going to escape uh, is a very scientific process. Um, and then parts of it are very, uh, yeah, it, it's very kind of subjective and kind of creative as well. So it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, that, that kind of blend is quite, quite interesting. I think that's what, um, what we kind of like, I think. Yeah. I mean, you've won like a number of awards um, and you've been in the Grand Designs magazine as well. And I think you mentioned that you've been in one of the programs. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think we've been on the Grand Designs program, not as a, not as one of the houses that was uh, being followed, but as yeah. a kind of exemplar project. Um, um, and, you know, a few other TV programs as well. Um, George Clark's one they also used uh, one of our projects as uh, as an exemplar one and we're uh, actually we're about to be on a um uh tiny tempers uh just been <laughs> filming one of our house or one of our extension projects for extraordinary extensions which is about to go out i think it was supposed to be end of september but i think it's now like december or january so oh wow so yeah that was quite interesting as well yeah. um to make uh, sure i watched that yeah but what kind of would you say inspires you you know is there anything any particular like architects or projects that you look up to i mean there's loads but um yeah i think that there's loads of things that um uh, that we kind of find inspiring and i think that the more kind of uh, input you get the, mm. the, the the kind of more uh, output you you can kind of deliver yeah, of i course. think um uh yeah and then but i don't know one of the projects that i'm blew me away on holiday it was the castle vecchio by carla scarpa but it's like um i didn't go to see it we're just i was just on holiday with the family and um uh and we were kind of walking around and it's the project i was aware of from university and stuff and i'd seen loads of images of and but where is this uh so it's in verona in italy okay um and I we just walked past it. I was like, "Oh my god, it's there! Well, we've got to go and look at it." And yeah. uh, we went to look at it, and it's one most things when you've seen pictures of it and you see it in the flesh, you're kind of it's never quite never you're quite humbled. lives up yeah. to the to the what your expectations are. But this one was kind of the opposite, and it was yeah. just like 
oh my god, this is amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, so it, it you know when you get when you see kind of things like that, it's um, yeah, it's always always, always good. Um, but yeah, nice. So we actually asked our previous guest if he had a question um, that he thinks would be suitable to ask you, our next guest. So okay. he said, how will, our, how will AI change the profession and could it render human architects obsolete? <laughs> um, uh, interesting. So we, yeah, we, we, there's obviously quite a lot of, in the press at the moment about AI. So we kind of... Um, downloaded one of the programs and start having to play with it in the office and mm -hmm. i don't think our jobs are in th under threat uh, right at the moment okay, put it, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. um i think it's um it, it's interesting in a way of using it as a tool to kind of help you generate ideas mm -hmm. um but it's so much so much happens in a building it's not a building isn't just a picture mm. it, it's like it's for for one it's a three-dimensional thing which AI's kind of struggles with at the moment. It's great at genera generating images. Yeah. Um, but then there's so many components and stuff that are working together as well. So it, it, it can't leak. It, it's got to be thermally, uh, it's got to work thermally. It, it's got to take on all the kind of desires and wishes of the client and, and getting those in, go, getting those to work together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, could be potentially a useful tool to, like I say, help you in the design process. But I think the time where AI is just going to design your buildings for you is is not on the near horizon, as far as okay. I can tell at the moment. That's no. good news. Yeah, I mean, I remember like what you said before about sort of that um, collaborative work environment where you've got lots of different people sharing their ideas. I guess AI at this stage can't really mimic that no um it's yeah it's literally a kind of it's i mean the, the ones that we've looked at is a kind of where you, you know, te the text generating thing where you type in some text uh, to it and it generates some images and actually mm. that can be quite interesting of uh but in a similar way to you know you would look at some precedents of other buildings uh, and go okay well that that aspect of that's quite interesting How, you know is, is there as is, could that work for this project it essentially is another way of generating a, a kind of precedent image that you can use but um uh yeah i think you know it'll, it'll undoubtedly get kind of better and better and more powerful so um, do you think before it kind of all turned sour for architects like it could have a positive impact on your job like make things a bit easier for you maybe yeah i think so um i think maybe in terms of yeah like you're saying as a, as a precedent thing but i think in terms of um or you know there's thing other things like um you know making nice images is also quite a key part of what we do so mm -hmm. um you've got to design it, design your buildings, but you've also got to then produce a nice image of that building to sell yeah. it to, uh, well, planners or clients or to help describe that building to people. And AI can help with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, it, there's uh, you know, the latest versions of Photoshop have, you know, where AI can help generate, fill a space full of sky where you want, want some sky up there and you yeah. haven't got it at the moment. AI can help you do that. So it's definitely a useful tool, but it's like, it's not going to do your job for you. Um, there's never going to, I don't say never, but I find it unlikely that there'll be a button you can press and go, yeah, 
design a house button done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, that's good. I'm 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 happy for you that that's not an issue <laughs> yeah. yet. Um, just to sort of finish off, are there any skills or sort of mindsets that you would encourage to new architects or um, perhaps, um, you know, kids that have just left school who are looking to perhaps do um, architecture at university? Yeah, I think um, architecture is a, is, a, is a kind of strange thing where it's a kind of mix of creativity and um, uh, kind of technical skills, I suppose. But yeah, and the, there's a kind of range of different architects, some which um, kind of more kind of technical and more some which are more on the creative side. But for me, um, the creative side of it has always been the most interesting. And the technical part is helping you achieve what you know, you need to, it needs to work. And um, so you need the technical knowledge to help you uh, realize your kind of creative vision essentially um, but as for someone wanting to get into architecture I think for me art is kind of one of the most important subjects that y- mm-hmm. you, you should do um, I think geography actually is another in, another one because that is all about cities um, yeah. and uh, how people kind of live which I think is is key and then quite a lot of courses will ask you for maths or something like that as well but yeah. um for me, art is the, the 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 most important thing, and I think it's um, and architecture actually is is the course is great for that anyway because it helps it the first year especially is all about trying to free up your thinking so that um, you know you're not kind of constrained on what you think what a house or a building should be. Um, so you know we in our first year I think we did like one of the projects was like a fashion show where we had to come design a building that we could wear and that we could walk down another one was we had one piece of cardboard and we had to make it make it something we could sit on out of it yeah. and and so it, they're all quite kind of interesting <clears throat> things but it gives you for me i i thought it was uh, i know I, I loved it i thought it was a great degree and it gives you a really good broad kind of base in design and as a as a in general and so i think you could quite easily move into different sectors from there as well it seems like you've really honed in on that with like selenki parsons how you describe yourself as a very playful sort of like creative firm you know that there aren't boundaries that are like restricting you yeah and i think i think you know one of the reasons we set up the practice was to have fun essentially to enjoy yeah. what we're doing and and so i think we never want we didn't you know we never want to try and get too bogged down or take ourselves too seriously but at the same time we want to you know do really nice buildings so of course i think um we never we never want to get into the p- position where we're just knocking out stuff for the sake of earning money it's it's it we kind of we reinvent the wheel every time yeah. which is maybe not the most efficient way to do things but it, it's what kind of makes us what keeps us interested essentially i guess um so um so yeah (laughs) brilliant thank you so much for such an insightful episode i feel like i've learned a lot (laughs) um and a huge thank you to all of our listeners we really appreciate any feedback um if you want to leave that in the comment section um And yeah, stay tuned for more captivating conversations. Once again, thank you. No, thank you very much. Yeah, no, it was great. It's been a pleasure having you on. 
and we hope you all enjoy this episode thank you all very much and have a nice weekend bye